Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. And in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, especially those Byzantine churches, those Eastern churches, which are on the Gregorian calendar, some of the Orthodox churches and some Eastern Catholic churches use the Julian calendar, so they haven't really started Lent yet. But we are now in the second Sunday of Lent. And this second Sunday, and as we're have already gone into Lent, we look once again at some of the main purposes of all the fasting and the penance. One of the purposes, and we focus that we focus on that this particular Sunday, this second Sunday of Lent, because one of the things that we look at and celebrate is a great Byzantine saint called Gregory Palamas. He was in the 14th century. And he and those at that time, monastics at that time, developed a spirituality which was around for a long, long time, but they tended to develop it and articulate it, even when it was doubted or attacked by Western Christians. It's the spirituality of a certain contemplation. In fact, that is the goal of Lent. Contemplation meaning the true vision of things, how we see things, not just with our eyes, but with our heart from the inside out. In other words, think of all that you're doing for Lent, and hopefully you're doing many things, You're going into every or as many areas as possible of your life, your daily patterns, thoughts, activities, rhythms, habits. You're going into all of those, and you're sort of chipping away at them. You're pulling back from many things, divesting yourself of things either in part or incrementally or completely. And what you're doing, what we should be doing through that, and that includes the fasting of the foods and so on, why we're doing that is because we're trying to pull back and open ourselves up spiritually, open up our soul, the eyes of our heart and soul to see correctly, to recapture the original vision that Adam and Eve had before the fall. See, Lent is our 
Yes, it's our return to the Bible, to the biblical experience, but it's actually ultimately our return to our original innocence. At least it's an attempt to go there in that direction, to capture a certain echo of that original innocence. St. John Paul II had a great term for this. He called it the peace of the interior gaze. In other words, when we look at things, especially one another, human beings, and especially in the area of marriage, such as man and woman, you know, love between man and woman, marriage, sexuality, especially in that area, we look at each other with a certain peace, an innocence, a purity, a sacramental view, and that brings us that interior peace. We're looking as though we had eyes in our heart, in our soul. We're looking from the inside out. And it's a sacramental view. It's the view that God has, the view that God wants us to have, to see everything in light of God. The Eastern masters had a word for this. It was called theoria. Now, I'm going to refer today from a wonderful classic book on Eastern spirituality. It's called The Spirituality of the Christian East by Father Thomas Spiedlick. He later became a cardinal. He's since deceased. But he wrote a, a wonderful book on the spirituality of the Christian East. I highly recommend it. A bit scholarly, but it's very, very thorough. And in his book, on the area of called contemplation, he says this, the term contemplation was early given widely different meanings. Should one say that contemplation is identical with prayer? What remains true is that knowledge, in other words, like knowledge of God, in proportion as prayer increases. Evagrius, he's another great spiritual monk of the Eastern Church, assimilated the superior contemplation to the highest degree of prayer. Hence, this remarkable sentence, and, and listen to this, this is great. If you are a theologian, you will really, truly pray. And if you pray truly, you are a theologian. I'm going to say that again. If you are a theologian, you will pray truly. And if you pray truly, you are a theologian. The word theoria is supposed to be derived from thea, meaning vision. And as a consequence, it expresses in an intensified form the idea of seeing, looking, seeing a spectacle, by extension, reflecting, meditating, philosophizing. Accordingly, mere seeing can be accompanied more and more by reflective reasoning. When this becomes scientific, we have what is called theory, as contrasted to practice or putting into effect. In this religious sense, among the Christian spiritual writers, theoria means vision, apparition, but above all, true contemplation of the object of our consideration. See, what we're doing is, when we say true contemplation of this theoria, it's seeing things as they really are, as God sees them, as God wants us to see them. In other words, a person is not just a category. Oh, that's Joe, he's a liberal. Or it's not a label. You see the person, first and foremost, as a revelation of God in their own unique way. You see them in the image and likeness of God. You see nature. You see scientific discoveries and inventions. You see the stars in the sky. You see your dog, his behavior, her behavior, your cat, your pet, your children, food. You see everything in light of God. It puts you in touch with God and gives you a certain interior peace and love of life. See, our problem is, and this is why we do the rigors of Lent, is we adopt a very non-sacramental view. Our head tends to be down. Just think about that. You know, the physical reveals the spiritual, as St. John Paul II reminds us in his Theology of the Body. We walk around oftentimes with our heads sort of down. We're, we're encumbered by things we don't like, our problems, our cares, our worries, our anxieties. 
think about just literally catch yourself doing that. How often you're looking down. I don't mean straight down necessarily, but in a rather downward motion. And what are you doing then? You're thinking of what you have to do, obligations, problems, stresses, anxieties, things you're angry about, the government, etc. Now catch yourself doing that and then start to lift your chin up, literally lift it up and see how you're going to think a little differently. Lift it all the way up and even stargaze or in during the daytime, look up in the sky. Just, you know, that saying, get your head out of the clouds. Well, actually during Lent, we get our heads in the clouds. We get them back in the clouds, actually. And this is not superficial, dreamy thing, a spacey thing. This is the real thing. Our vision has to be transcendent, always looking towards heaven, connecting everything heavenward. Yes, there is cares and worries and difficulties and stresses, terrible things in this world today. We're in a terrible darkness. But it's all the more reason why we have to lift that chin, look up, and contemplate life, contemplate God. Father Spedek says this, Still, one should not forget that this word had a certain ambiguity among early fathers. The gospel used the word theoria once in connection with the spectacle of Christ on the cross. This is in Luke 23, verse 48. Properly speaking, the term is absent from the vocabulary of the apostolic fathers. It appears only with Clement of Alexandria in origin, but was used frequently thereafter. Its Greek origin is so apparent that the Syrians attempted to translate it only rarely. At the same time, another term made its appearance in Christian circles. Gnosis, spelled G-N-O-S-I-S, it's a Greek word, means like knowledge. For Clement of Alexandria, gnosis is that light which is enkindled in the soul as a result of obedience to the commandments. We know that gnosis was the salient characteristic of certain Eastern religions. From the etymological point of view, the noma makes appeal to no particular organ of sensory knowledge, but the will may be involved, and thus gnosis, or this kind of knowledge, means at the same time judgment, decision, and resolution. In other words, what's happening is this. The Eastern Fathers spoke about, this is especially true when we get to Gregory Polymus and the Hesychists, they spoke about a certain silence that we achieve, and we'll get to one way to achieve that. They spoke about that silence, that contemplation, and in that silence, achieving that point of silence and meditation, contemplation, one would actually be filled or see the what they call the light of Tabor, Remember that radiant, brilliant light that came from Christ when he transfigured on Mount Tabor in front of his disciples? Well, the Eastern spiritual masters believed that we could actually experience that through deep contemplation and prayer. And this would be alongside a certain sort of silence. This is what the word hasikism means, a kind of a silence that we achieve through a particular prayer and contemplation. The Eastern Church has frequently been compared to Mary and the Western Church to Martha. More than one spiritual writer has exalted the delights of contemplation. The entire spiritual life has often been structured with a view to contemplation, which according to Justinian's legislation is the only aim of the monastic life. The fathers declare that everything has been created for the sake of the knowledge of God. The one who says and does everything in view of the knowledge of God and has the eyes of his soul always turned towards the Lord. That's that vision we're talking about, to recover and restore that peace, the interior gaze. But in order to do that, to arrive at that, it's necessary to cleanse ourselves, to divest ourselves. That's the point of our fasting and our penance, our giving up things, backing away, divesting, emptying ourselves so we can be filled through contemplation 
with the light of Tabor. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Father Loya invites you to see the new Tabor Life website. That's taborlife.org. When you land on the homepage, you can see how Tabor Life can help improve your marriage, your life, and how to see the beauty of God's created order in your personal life. On taborlife.org, you can book Father Loya to speak to your organization about the key elements of leadership, relationships, and sexuality, as well as speak on cultural, social, and political issues. As a renowned artist, Father Loya can speak about how art, liturgy, and prayer fit together. On taborlife.org, you can see the many ways of how you can communicate with us. And as you look to the lower right-hand corner of the page, Click on the messenger icon for live chat. And finally, Taper Life Institute is a 5013C charitable organization that earnestly needs your support. Click on the support link at the top of the page and donate. After all, Taper Life is powered by you. This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. This Lent, is there someone you need to forgive? Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen tells the story of one of the most exalted descriptions of forgiveness he had ever read about a Russian bishop who was sentenced to death by communist authorities in Russia. His last prayer for his executioners was this, Heavenly Father, I offer up for the sins of these men and my own sins the death of your Son but I also forgive my executioners as you forgive me. And so on Judgment Day, when these men stand before you, the angels will ask, what charge is brought against these men? There will be no one to charge them with guilt. They are already forgiven. Who do you need to forgive this Lent? I'm Jim Littleton, forming FaithfulFamilies.com. God love you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We're becoming great contemplatives today with the help of St. Gregory Palamas, the Hasekus tradition, and the spirit of contemplation, the emptying of self so as to be filled with the light of Tabor, as the great spiritual masters of the Eastern Church has said. Again, that's the point of Lent. The point of Lent, like the light of Tabor during Christ's transfiguration, is to transfigure us to transfigure us back into how we were before the fall. At least we try to strive in that direction. We can't possibly retrieve that entirely. But we can retrieve a certain echo of that, a certain similarity, and that is what's called holiness or sanctity. 
And there's a way that we can arrive at that. There's well, a number of ways through contemplation, but one of the things that helps us with contemplation is a powerful little gem from the Eastern tradition. It's called the Jesus Prayer. Many of you may be familiar with it, but let's take another look at it, especially now during Lent, because the Jesus Prayer is going to be very much a part of this Hesychus tradition, you know, this tradition of achieving that light of Tabor through a, a certain silence, and a silence that comes from focusing on Christ. A very simple but very, very poignant prayer that has a great contemplative focus to it. And again, I'm going to refer to the great book, The Spirituality of the Christian East by Thomas Spiedlich. This is generally called the Jesus Prayer, which is a literal translation of the Russian Molitva Yusufova, in itself equivalent of the Greek word where the name of Jesus is an objective For centuries, it has been expressed in the following way, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, then the Russians added, a sinner. So we say in my church, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This prayer has been called the heart of the Eastern spirituality, a practice which, while going back to remote antiquity, remains very much alive today in the Christian East. Byzantine and Russian monks associate the Jesus prayer with the use of a rosary, which helps to count the invocations and the bows that accompany them. Now, this rosary is what we call a chutki. There's different names for it. It's made of a single cord. It's, it's sewn from a single cord, and it has, well, it can have 33 what they call knots, not beads, but knots. Some of them have beads. You can make it with beads like a rosary, but usually they make it with knots from the single cord. Usually there's 33 or 50 or even 100. And after so many knots, there's oftentimes a little break. So in other words, you go something like a rosary. You go like 10 Jesus prayers, 10 knots, and then there's a break, a little bit larger knot or a little space in there, and you can do whatever you want there. Sometimes it's common to do a prayer to the mother of God, something like Most Holy Mother of God, save us. And then back to the Jesus prayer. Until the middle of the 11th century, this prayer was not as widespread as it came to be in the 14th. Various authors contained or not contained in the Philokalia have outdone each other in celebrating its excellence. Theophan the Recluse, like others, borrowed the teaching of Abba Philemon. These are all famous Eastern monks. He said, Call to him with fervor, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do this constantly in church and at home, traveling, working, at table, and in bed. In a word, from the time you open your eyes until the time you shut them, this will be exactly like holding an object in the sun, because this is to hold yourself before the face of the Lord, who is the sun, S-U-N, of the spiritual world. So they would suggest that you do this prayer constantly, so that the name of Jesus is always on your mind and also your lips. Very simple, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father Spiegel continues, In keeping with what has been said about prayer in general, there are three distinct degrees to this prayer, oral, mental, and of the heart. Oral recitation possesses an unquenchable value, as does the practice of short, 
frequent prayers. But Theophan, the recluse, was right in opposing those who wanted to give this prayer an almost sacramental character and who believed they had discovered a talisman in it. With regard to content, several authors beginning in the 4th century have highly praised the superiority of the formula and have indicated its many virtues. But it is possible to stress first or the second element of the prayer. In the latter case, the Jesus Prayer is one of the numerous Cantonitic prayers that were popular in the monastic circles that cultivated penthos. Now, this means repentance. The more recent authors have preference instead to the first element, the special power of the name of Jesus. And by the way, the name of Jesus does have a power in itself. That's why oftentimes I advise people, as I advise you, in times of temptation, anger, you know, for lusting, anger and gluttony and so on, pride. Start using the name Jesus, Lord Jesus. Get that part out first. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But it is better not to separate one element from the other. Adoration from compunction, awareness of the abyss between the divine and the human form what surpasses them, the mercy of the God-man. Lastly, the stage of the heart. Make it your habit, Theophane the recluse wrote, to pray these words with your mind in your heart. That's what I was saying before. We see with the eyes of the heart, the eyes of the soul. And this prayer, when you have learned to use it properly, or rather when it becomes grafted to your heart, will lead you to the end which you desire. It will unite your mind with your heart. It will quell the turbulence of your thoughts, and it will give you power to govern the movements of your soul. The aim of this prayer is to create and reinforce a certain state of heart. The Athenite Hesychus, those are those great desert monks of the Eastern Church, wanted to help this process of interior assimilation by means of a psychosomatic method. Its oldest known theoretician was Nicephorus the monk in the second half of the 13th century. This presupposed a moral preparation, a pure conscience or certain tranquility. External conditions were required next, a closed cell, a seated position on a low bench with one's beard resting on one's chest. One turned the eye the body with the whole mind on the middle of the abdomen, also called the navel. Now, this sounds like some kind of navel-gazing, doesn't it? In fact, this sounds like some kind of navel-gazing, doesn't it? In fact, many Western theologians and spiritual masters had a problem with this approach. They didn't really fully understand it. They, they in fact, even characterized it as navel-gazers. But it is legitimate. In the East, it's very much a part of how to arrive at that contemplation so as to be filled with the light of Tabor. And again, that's part of our goal of Lent. The exercise even contained a regulated slowing down of the breathing. Later, it was said that the repetition of the formula should be synchronized with a slowed down breathing rhythm, a mental exploration of the visceral me in search of the place of the heart, and the unceasing invocation of the name of Jesus. So, what you would do is you would focus, get relaxed, focus on inside of you. Again, it, it, this is from the interior, from the inside out. Focus, be silent. Picture your mind, the face of Jesus, the image of Christ, and start saying, Lord Jesus Christ, breathing in, Son of God, breathe out. Have mercy on me, breathe in, a sinner, breathe out. Or it's some formula like that. You can break up the phrase a little differently. That's usually how I do it. I try to synchronize it with my breath. Lord Jesus Christ, breathe in, Son of God, breathe out. Have mercy on me, breathe in, a sinner, breathe out. So that the mind, heart, body, soul, Spirit, our whole being becomes integrated, becomes prayer. 
That's what we want. We want to not just say prayers or do prayers. We become prayer. We become pure prayer. And in that, we achieve that inner peace, that silence, and achieve, hopefully, that light of Tabor, where in a sense, we're, we're almost seeing God himself. We see it in the practice of contemplating nature, but this is the highest form in the Eastern spirituality of, in a sense, contemplating God, being open to being filled with the very light, the energies, the, what they call the uncreated energies of God. Painful and filled with darkness at the beginning, the unification of the mind joined to prayer soon led to joy, ineffable delights, invincibility against the attacks of the enemy, a growing love of God, and a great light, later called Taboric, in other words, the Tabor light. A classic book on this is called The Way of the Pilgrim. And according to that story, the pilgrim is a simple peasant seeking to answer to the traditional question, how to pray without ceasing. And he prays this Jesus prayer over and over again. He counts them at first, and after that, he no longer counts them because his lips and tongue pronounce the words by themselves without any urging, even during sleep. How's that? <laughs> so our goal during Lent is not just some kind of physical, spiritual gymnastic of giving up something, toughing it out, and going back to it after Lent. It's our transformation, our opening up to that presence of God in us, to that renewed vision of being able to see things with and through the light of Tabor, everything. Can you imagine if the world was like that? What a different place it would be to see sacramentally, liturgically, to see incarnationally, to see as God sees, to see as God wants us to see. We've lost that in so many ways. And Lent is our time to try and retrieve that as best we can. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Leah on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Father Larry Richards, host of Open Line Thursday. God of love and mercy, we ask you to bless everyone this Lenten season. Help them to truly deny themselves and to embrace you so that they can be instruments of your salvation, to open themselves to you. Bless them now in this Lent, now and forever. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.